Hello, Alaska. This is Pat Race. And this is Matt Buxton. And this is a podcast about Alaska. And all right, so we're into the second week of the legislative session, and uh, it's it feels like it's been really eventful. You've been kind of like off down a rabbit hole and uh, uh, following this re- redistricting court case, um, the and mul- kind of multiple court cases stacked on top of each other. Um, and we've had the state of the state address this week. We had um, you know kind of various things in motion. Legislative budget audit committee. David Eastman has become a hot topic. Um, lots of stuff going on, and the session starting to kind of find its shape, right? So yeah, it, it, this is interesting because um, so the start of the legislative sessions basically like is well, legislative sessions like my jam, right? Like this is a thing that I, I love covering. I, I love this idea of having like all these meetings going on and policy discussions, and I haven't like been able to put like any even like get a toe in right now because mm-hmm. uh, right now I'm doing covering legislative or the redistricting trial um and, and it. it's like a like you're it's just a nine, it's a nine to five you yeah. know and i gotta be paying attention pretty much the whole time i think one time i tried to like keep an ear on one and an, another ear on another hearing and it didn't work at all like my partner came in and she was like what do you, you gotta you gotta stop you can't do this and um, <laughs> you're like aussie so, mendis looking at like so, a wall of tv screens <laughs> yeah and not learning anything and so um so yeah, it's been. I mean, I, don't know, I think it's been nice to, for me, just sort of on like a on a personal sort of work like level, been um, kind of giving myself like the permission to be like, okay, I'm gonna do redistricting. I'm gonna do it well. Like no one else is doing it, so it's kind of I've sort of been able to focus in on it. I've really appreciated like everybody else who is writing about session, who's tweeting about session, and I'm really excited to get back to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you've been covering a lot of hearings. It's sort of funny because I keep on like making a list of all these things that like, oh, when I get some time, I'm going to go back to it. But like, I'm not getting done with like, you know, I cover the nine to five trial with pretty much no breaks and then, um, then sit down and write it. So I'm done around like seven every night right now. Yeah. And there's just no time to like get stuff caught up on my list. So I'm, this is this, this is, this is our moment to try to catch up on some of those things. I'm excited to hear, uh, what's been going on with the session. I like that. You think I know everything that's going on in this session. I know, I know, like, you know, more than like, I do a couple of small things. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, let's, uh, let's, maybe we should just start with the trial since that's where you've been living. Um, yeah. Get, get, give us kind of an update of what happened this week. Um, and I, you know, just to sum up like where we left off last week, things had just gotten, gotten started and the initial testimony was all submitted as like a written document. And mm-hmm. then we had kind of rebuttals, uh, were, were being done. Right. Yeah. So this week actually felt more like a trial, I would say. Um, it's the same sort of format as it was on last Friday where, you know, the or- opening arguments have already been pre-filed. The initial testimony is, you know, been all in depositions and affidavits. So, but this week, it felt like we got a better look at it. And so what this week really focused on was um, the complaints brought by the Matsu Borough and the city of Valdez, which are kind of pretty much similar in that they both don't like that they're paired together. Mm-hmm. Um, Valdez doesn't like Matsu, and Matsu doesn't like Valdez. And um, so this week, we, we kind of really sort of got to focus in on it. And it's interesting because in this case... Um, you have uh, the Doyon Limited Group, which is a sort of a coalition of you know various Alaska Native groups from the interior who are basically suing in support in defense of the plan. And so we got like a really good look at sort of the underlying issues with this. So yeah. the Valdez and Matsu are both kind of looking for a, a rewrite of the maps that would sort of separate them. But the problem is that like Valdez is 4,000 people that doesn't really fit well with anybody. And so any sort of changes to this district would result in changes elsewhere, right? Yeah, because it just you spills take 4, over. Yeah. And so their preferred district that they, they want to go into is this sort of interior interior rural district that is the Richardson Highway and Delta Junction. And then it goes up around Fairbanks and grabs a bunch of the interior Athabascan um, communities. And it's interesting because you get kind of – you 
start to see how some of the thinking that they were using and drawing the maps. And it's basically the goal of the Alaska Redistricting Board, and it was never really like well explained, was that they really wanted to respect um, Alaska Native community boundaries, sort of respect their sort of cultural background and history and sort of understanding that the interior Doyon communities don't share a lot with the Bering Strait communities or the North Strope communities where they've sort of been paired before. Um, but that, you know, then it runs into issues with how non-Alaska Native communities are represented. So sort of making this one concession on this one side has created this other problem, but then fixing it means that you have to go back on this. And so it's sort of this weird balancing of um, kind of competing interests that the system isn't really particularly well equipped to deal yeah. with, in my opinion. To kind of like put that in, in the, this Valdez Matsu thing in, in context, like if you haven't been to Valdez, it's kind of this like pocket community. You have to drive through this like really steep, like uh, almost like a ravine, but it's like this valley that like winds down this hill and it's the, you know, it's the pipeline terminal. It's, it's a very um, isolated community, but on the road system. Um, and it's sort of a, a terminal destination, right? And it's what, about a hundred miles from these communities in the Matt, Matt, Matt Neustick, I think it's uh, almost Susanna. 200 miles, 120 200 miles? or 200 miles. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, so it's, it's quite a, quite a ways away. And then yeah. like, the, 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 the idea that places are linked in Alaska is really kind of stretched here because, you know, people from Fairbanks have boats in Valdez, right? And, and that's, that's sort of their, they're like fishing port and then they've yeah. got like i don't know it's it's a yeah they, they were arguing that big box stores in matsu is like the connection between yeah Valdez and they were and, and they were arguing too that you know that because matsu is a high percentage of oil field workers and Val, valdez has got the to oil terminal or the the, te the pipeline terminal ter terminal yeah yeah um that they have a shared interest in the health of the oil industry which is kind of like this sort of a little bit preposterous claim, if I'm being honest, but um, it's interesting because, like, they they really in this trial, um, they talked a little bit about like the historical problems with this because so in the '90s they were Valdez was paired to the Prince William Sound district, but because of population growth and changes, like that no longer is tenable. So they went in the 2000s went into the sort of area that reached all the way up to Fairbanks. But now as Matsu has grown, as Fairbanks has shrank, um, this district is becoming more and more Matsu. Um, so, so that during this trial too, they were even like complaining about their like legislative representation currently. They're talking about how their Senator, um, Senator Mike Shower out of Wasilla, like didn't even care about them, has never been to their uh, district, has never been to their town halls. Well, that, that actually uh, take, surprised refuses me. to take the hearings. Like I didn't was, even yeah. know he was their senator. Like I, uh, that, like I was like, <laughs> yeah. And they, I mean, they were talking about how like uh, Click Bishop out of Fairbanks um, was a better better representative, more more open to their concerns, and it, and it kind of it almost. I think it's interesting because you know we we have sort of these bounds rules placed on the plan that I think are you know sound pretty reasonable, especially when like applied to urban districts, right where need to be contiguous, compact, socio relatively socioeconomically integrated and about as close as possible to like the ideal population. But like through this whole process like it to me it makes clear that either we need more representatives, I think in the sense so we can have more legislative districts so we can kind of be more you know more, reflective more of the difference. Yeah. yeah, because is you know is Alaska does Alaska really um you know, neatly divide into 40 distinct communities, right? Like, Appar no. Apparently not. Yeah. yeah. And, but at the same time, as we talk about this, it almost kind of makes, like, the idea that d legislative districts, which need to be, like, contiguous, is almost, like, that is almost a problem in the system because it's, like, Valdez, like, if they ha really had it their way, would be paired with, like, Fairbanks, specifically like the the kind of the communities in between like get them there mm -hmm. but if they were really happy like they would be with fairbanks because they kind of ultimately share some of the most interest but you have this like l big area in between where you are really kind of you know you're squinting and kind of trying to make it all work but you know this, there's another uh, case we'll hear this next week where um skagway really wants to be with downtown juno and uh, yeah. they talk about the the um 
because they're cruise ship connection. Cause, but to cause do downtown that, is the south end of town, and they're paired yeah. with the north end of town, which is closer to them, but maybe not as like ideal. Yeah, ideally. But then it, yeah, it becomes like a problem, like of of like uh, of like how, how do you draw the boundaries to do that? Yeah, right. You do a big loop then all of a sudden around. you have to have one go around the yeah. uh, through the other or over it or something. And so I think it like it 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 sort of speaks to I think. You know, I think we look at a lot of these plans and, and you look at them and you go, well, that's not right or that's wrong. You know, you look at some of the East Anchorage pairings, Senate pairings or whatever, or, you know, any of these districts. And I think it kind of is a good reminder that there's like a big difference between what's right and what's legal, if, if that makes sense. Um, that like, yeah. if, ever, if we were doing what's right, you know, the districts would look one way, but what's legal according to the rules is something else. And so... Um, it, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how it continues to play out because, you know, I think the the that's like the one lesson I've gotten after like covering trials for the last decade is that, you know, you'll watch them and you'll like have this emotional like idea of how this case should go. And, oh, it's so clear that they were wrong. But it was like the last trial was, you know, there were so many clear instances of why it was, you know, gerrymandered in one way or another. But then it the the final issue came down to well they didn't follow the Hickel plan and that Hickel plan says you do step one two and three and they didn't follow it so therefore the whole plan was thrown out and so I think it's it's just to me it's it's really interesting to see how it's going to come together I think you know if I could have my way it was almost it's almost like we would just look at this and start to rewrite some of the rules for redistricting to be more um, I think like just be have more, more reflective people? of yeah, to be more reflective of the the legislature and the communities, right? Because I yeah. think, you well, know, that's, the Valde- that's where, you know, the idea of like a unicameral legislator, legislature, you could still have 60 legislators, but they could, instead of overlapping districts, they could represent uh, more communities that way yeah. individually. Um, there's a lot of different ideas out there. Or you could expand the number of people. There's a lot bigger population in Alaska than when we first set this system up. And so now... You know, you've got the same problem with the House of Representatives on the federal level where one, one person represents so many more people than they used to um, mm-hmm. that, that each person is not getting kind of the same level of representation or access. So maybe, right. it, maybe it is time to talk about expanding the number of people in the legislature. But then again, then now you've got more government and more cost and no one, no one likes that. No one likes more yeah. government, right? So yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it's – I mean, it's interesting. I don't – you know, I don't think it's going to, you know – being a realist, I don't think it's gonna. You know, we're gonna get any, you know, sweeping policy changes on this. But I think it, it's just really interesting to watch it. I think also too. Um, well, Matt, Matt, I don't know. To, I mean, the constitutional convention might 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 right? happen, and then we could have lots of sweeping changes. Yeah, so. yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe that'll get me on board. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I think it, I mean, I think it's going to be, you know, it, this is a whole other week of this trial. There's additional complaints coming in. It's going to be really interesting to see how it all comes together, um, you know. And then, of course, to, um, you know, we have, you know, election, you know, system changes on top of it. But yeah. I, mean, I think the the thing, the key, key takeaway here is that, like, you know, Valdez clearly feels um, like they're not properly represented by that. And yeah. I think if you have a system that's creating something where you know, there's, there's, you know, the legislator has no interest in, in, in connecting with them. You know, I think that's a problem, right? And, right. But again, I think too, uh, on some level too, it's like, is that really a problem with the system, or is that a problem with Senator Shower, right? I think, you know, I think it speaks to the kind of people we're electing, right? That we have people who can't be bothered to elect, you know, care about them, and it's because, you know. Valdez has voted for him. They vote Republican, um, and so it's never been. They've never, you know, they brought that up in court that Valdez has never split with Valdez or with Matt Sue on any issue. When you look at the voting, and yeah. um, I think you know, but you know, I think if if we come through it with ranked choice voting, maybe something does change there, right? And maybe uh, all of a sudden, Shower has to be more. Um, aware of how four thousand people in his Senate district uh, yeah. care. I mean, that's um, a that's a problem in a lot of districts. Like I think about our district here in Juneau, and like you said, we overlap with you know parts of Juneau overlap generally with Skagway and Haynes, depending on where the lines are drawn in a given year. And those communities don't often have members of those communities representing themselves. It's always someone from Juneau, and so they got to hope for the best Juneau candidate they can get to 
represent their interests. And we, you know, I think I think we have some pretty good ones now. They go up and visit and have town halls and things up there. But it's, um, but it's really unlikely that you're going to get someone from Haynes or Skagway ever elected to the legislature through that kind of process. And I think that Valdez in a similar boat, which is, you know, uh, it's it's not uncommon for a lot of communities in Alaska to to be just never have a representative from their community. Right. Right. Um, All okay. Right. Okay. Well, so well, tell me about some legislator good, stuff. Interesting redistricting update. Um, in terms of just before we move on, in terms of timeline, how many more weeks do you think you're going to be in the hole on this one? So uh, the nine to five sounds like it will continue for the rest of this coming week, and then after that, it will be, you know, into into. Um, it sounds like there might be one more day where we'd have oral closing arguments. I think on the eleventh or tenth of February. Um, but other than that, I'll leave. Looking forward to getting back to it. And any surprises at all in the process of like uh, anything that's been revealed that we didn't know already going into this? Or um, has it all been pretty much just arguments about things that existed already? Um, I think some of the history has actually been really interesting. The fact that Valdez has always sort of been an issue is to me really interesting that um, it was an issue in the 2000s round. It was an issue into the 2010s round. It's an issue now. Um so some of that kind of just history element is really interesting. Um, honestly, too, there's a lot of testifiers that are, are that some of the districts brought up that are, are just these like fountains of institutional knowledge that are really cool. Uh, that to me, like, are you know, put a little bookmark in that person that you know that would be an interesting story on their own. Um, another interesting one, interesting last, kind of last interesting thing that has come out of it is that we've seen some of the text exchanges between the board members and others. Right now, we've only seen um, exchanges between uh, Nicole Borromeo and some of the Doyon plaintiffs. It, it's you know painting the picture that um, she somehow you know was working with them to influence the process. It's not doesn't really paint like a to me doesn't paint like a really good smoking gun for the whole process but it doesn't really look good um the issue though i think is that you know some people are acting like oh this is you know the trial at least is is casting it as like oh this has never happened in the history of redistricting ever you know i I would never, you know, allow you know, outside influence. It's like, no, of course, the redistricting process is like, of course, it's like loaded. You know, the guy that the the um, board brought in is this like well, or the guy that the Valdez plaintiffs brought in is like this well-known redistricting guy who's like license plate is Gmander and <laughs> who's like been involved in like mapping. You know, he, he helped draw the this like infamous. Um, Illinois Fourth uh, Congressional District. This is like the this earmuffs district that you know grabs a uh, two different Hispanic communities and block blocks them together. I think it goes over like an overpass. It's really it's a it, it's a wild looking thing. But it, even that is interesting to me. You know, you kind of look at it and say, oh, horrible gerrymandering. But the, there's a clear purpose to it, which is to maintain a Hispanic majority voting district. It's I think the only one in Illinois. Wow. Um, yeah. So it's like gerrymandering is bad but sometimes it can be good yeah and so like some of this stuff is like to me is just really interesting kind of sausage making of it all but you know so i think it'll be really interesting to see if we ever get to look at the conservative members text messages i don't know um what kind of access there is or disclosure there might be on those sort of things or maybe they were just smarter about it maybe they did phone calls instead right and so there's not like a clear smoking gun record of it all um yeah yeah i think this whole this whole idea that like jerry or that that redistricting is like completely free of partisan influence is like to me i mean we the, even pretending is like a ridiculous yeah the hope is that it's balanced the hope is that you get yeah that you get balance and and that everyone's views are heard but it's a it's a fight every time all right so jumping over to um well, not even jumping all the way over to legislative land, but I one of the things I went to this week, um, I, or listened to, went to, <laughs> one of the things I put on in the background while I was working um, 
was a presentation by Musin Gatabi. Musin was an economist who worked with ICER and then uh, recently moved out of state, but still kind of dabbles in Alaska um, economics. And uh, I just, you know, just kind of the top line items. It was, it was a, it was maybe an hour presentation with some Q and A. But the sort of top line things here is that um, ec- economic growth in Alaska. We've we've had um, seven thousand new jobs in twenty twenty one estimated, um, but that's still almost twenty one thousand jobs in the hole from two thousand nineteen. He said that absent federal uh, monetary injections, it would have been much worse. So. A lot of what we have now is reliant on federal money, and uh, that that federal money and the infrastructure money in particular is kind of the biggest catalyst going forward. So Alaska doesn't have a lot of economic catalysts aside from the federal money that we just got in the infrastructure bill. That infrastructure bill, kind of on the back of the envelope, he said, could mean 14,000 extra jobs, but he doesn't really know when, like when those jobs will materialize because sometimes that takes a while for that money to rattle mm-hmm. through the system and to turn into projects and and jobs so maybe those jobs are in 2022 maybe they're in 2023 um he also said that they're not necessarily going to all be alaskan jobs because we our capacity has has decreased um to 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 take this on there's a lot of you know a lot of we, there's a lot of unknowns in terms of like what our capacity is to to absorb that labor and so he would. He said he also wouldn't be surprised if that meant like eight thousand jobs for Alaskans and you know another six thousand jobs for people out of state or you know some kind of mm-hmm. pretty big disparity of like all right all these construction folks came to town for a little while and then left and you know that's that, Alaska story right? yeah right <laughs> yeah and you know that's I, in the back of my head that just makes me think again about like how important an income tax is it's like we you know we just always lose that kind of revenue when when we're paying for jobs from outside and it's you know they come to town and maybe they buy a couple loaves of bread and some beer and you know a little bit of that money stays in the economy but a lot of it just like goes away and lives somewhere else um so uh anyways that was kind of the those are sort of the top line items in terms of like labor and workforce stuff that he talked about um he he did say that the labor force participation has been dropping for for a decade and he said that this is important that we don't think about how we don't think of this as a covid thing as a result of covid but this is a, a like kind of a long term trajectory we've been on and it's structural and it's pre-pandemic and so some of the solutions that people are are talking about are reactionary solutions to covid uh when maybe we're looking at kind of a bigger problem of of either uh he suggested maybe it was aging or or out migration but the um you know we've got the baby boomers who are all kind of like aging out of of positions and so of course there's going to be a need in the market for labor um and and for sort of like that institutional knowledge that we're losing um we've kind of reinvented all so anyways yeah that, that was kind of the overview he said that right now the general thought is that inflation will eventually cool um Although, you know, who knows with that? We'll see. You know, he mentioned that oil prices are really high right now, which they are. Um, that's been kind of a, a good thing for Alaska uh, in terms of state budgeting. And I did ask a question about tourism, which we talked about last week, because um, I was kind of curious about that. And he said that for his purposes, he's kind of modeling tourism numbers on 75% of the 2019 numbers rather than on rather than on this like projection of full capacity in uh 2022 so uh that's instead of 1.5 million that's slightly less than 1 million you know (laughs) it's all it's all guesses right it's it's projection and reading tea leaves i mean so you you know your business your comic book shop is like you know like how does that make you how does it how does it make you feel like how does that how how do you or not how does it make you feel but like how does it how do you look at the year how do you look at some of this information about like how to anticipate this sort of stuff you know you're i mean i feel like i'm in like i'm in a pretty good spot because i have sort of um i have kind of this like sidecar media business so i can lean into doing work for projects for clients which is what we did during the pandemic um and so i've got you know i my my dad was in this newspaper article when I was a kid and it said the man of many hats and it showed a picture of my dad with all these like hats stacked up from (laughs) from from different jobs he did and it was like and and I think that when you live in a small community, you have to wear a lot of hats. And so I think that I've always just sort of had this like 
broad stance, fingers in a lot of pies. Um, you know, it, it, that kind of thing of like, I can help you out with your computer. I can help you make a website. I can, like, I can sell you a comic book. You know, I'm like, you know, you see the same guy at the grocery store as you do at the, at the, at the bar later that night. And, you know, the guy that checked out your groceries is, you know, is also your bartender. I think, I think that that thing in a small town is not unusual. And I think that, kind of diversified and and uh you know diversified job (laughs) is important so so you're saying we should pat race the state government's income instead of being 90 you're not 90 percent relying on oil income are you no no right so if so if one if one revenue stream dries up you ought to be able to shift your focus to other ones and so um you know we and we we have actually kind of done that here like we've turned to investment revenue right like so mm-hmm. w- before we had 90% of our state government was run off of oil revenue and now what 70% is run off of income from investments which is uh that's a big shift and so we need more legs on the stool right the it used yeah. to be the the three-legged stool that they'd always talk about when I was in the, when I was in high school <laughs> Go get a check account and uh, learn about the three-legged <laughs> stool of Alaska's economy. Um, anyway, so that was it. Was a fun thing to listen to. I don't think I, you know, from the presentation, I don't think there was anything like super eye-opening um, in terms of. I, I guess the eye-opening thing was we really don't have anything going for us except for federal money that fell in our lap. And if we want to have a future for the state, we got to figure out what those things are that we're going to do and we've got to kind of build them. And so, um, you know, it, it's, that's going to take some work. And then I think also in terms of state revenue, I think we need to capture some revenue from people who are, we, we've got all these transient industries in Alaska. And if we don't start bringing in some, uh, income revenue from people who make their living here and then take their money away, um, we're, we're not keeping a piece of that pie to like build our, you know, plow our roads and, you know, pay for state troopers and things like that. So that's kind of where I'm at. I also listened to a uh, Alaska Mental Health Trust uh, uh, presentation. And so they just kind of gave an update to the legislature, um, though mostly not in my wheelhouse. But but one of the things I thought was really interesting, the Mental Health Trust Fund has jumped up from something like six in the 600 million range to like 832 million. Um, and part of that is that their fund is managed by the Alaska Permanent Fund Corporation. And I, I didn't realize that, but that's like r- uh, really interesting that we've got this, um, you know, it's a dedicated fund. It's a nest egg. It's a, um, it, and it's an important part of funding services in the state. And I, I haven't really looked deeply into it recently, but, um, it, it might be a good model to look at for like some of our education funding, you know, things like that, that are, you know, st- needs that we have year after year. Yeah, I mean, it's been, it's sort of this interesting issue, right, where, you know, we've got that basically Alaska is like an endowment state, you know, it's not quite there. But, you know, it, the idea that you have this big pot of money that spins off money, um, mm-hmm. you know, was the idea behind like the higher education investment fund, this, um, you know, the state scholarship program, you put a bunch of money away, and then you don't have to worry about it, right. And I think it's, it, it's, it's a difficult, I think Alaskans have yet to really adapt to this idea that we are just completely different, you know, than we've ever been in, in terms of how we make money in the state. And, you know, this idea that you could have a big pot, this big golden goose that is, you know, taking care of several, you know, important programs is like ideal, right? Like, it wouldn't it be great if we could kind of put the state on the state's finances onto relative autopilot and take care of things that are, we, you know, that are important, that are, you know, creating opportunity for Alaskans. Um, but, you know, I think that we've, we've yet to really see, a, you know, the unanimous sort of buy-in from legislators who, you know, you, you see efforts like the governor's, you know, efforts to sweep these funds in together. You know, it, yeah. it's, they don't, they don't like that, you know, these programs have been set up in a way that they can't just easily gut them, you know, so they're looking for ways to gut them and, and to really, you know, you know, dramatically overhaul how things work. And, you know, they look at, you know, this money that we sort of carefully set aside for the scholarships, for example, and they say, oh, well, that's, you know, that could get us through this next year, right? Instead, right. And it, I think it really speaks to the underlying issues with where we are at, you know, politically and policy-wise in how we approach all this stuff. I think 
Um, yeah, and that, that, that makes sense from like a philosophical standpoint. Like, the, if you're the legislature, of course you want to move the five billion dollars from the uh, crossing guard fund to the, you know, to the <laughs> education fund, right? Right. And so, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to watch how this sort of comes together. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it leads into right. You know, the other big news this week is that the legislative budget and audit committee. Uh, which last week, you know, spent, you know, an hour, a couple hours grilling the um, Craig Richards of the Alaska Permanent Fund Corporation over uh, the firing of Executive Director Angela Rodell. This week they they um, approved a, you know, third-party special investigator in the case, the $100,000 budget and subpoena powers, which I think would be the first time that we've seen that. I, I don't know if they've ever issued subpoenas before, but it would be the first time, at least in recent memory, where they are, you know, forcing and compelling testimony. Um, but, you know, I, I think, that, and it, again, I think this is, this whole case is really interesting just because um, it is, uh, you know, there's issues about the firing and that's on one thing, but the other issue is that, like, is the fund being well managed, right? Is it being taken care of? Is it in good hands? And I think that's like the really important question to get to the bottom of right now because if it's not in good hands, then they surely need to do something about it. Because um, you know this is like this is the the this is what the state's going to be banking on from here on out. Yeah, and that's um, the really yeah. interesting thing to me about this is that it's not really about like did did someone break the law. It's more about did is this is our eighty billion dollars being taken care of by people who are responsible and like i don't know like if you find out the answer to that is no then what are the actions the legislature takes like and that i think that becomes you know you've got all these people sitting around a table right now trying to figure out what happened and i think they all genuinely want to know but i think that when you get to the part where they have to come up with a solution then i think there's going to be a wild divergence in like well it obviously needs to be managed by this person right mm-hmm. and so i think what we're seeing is like the very tip of the iceberg for this this battle of control over a, a huge sovereign wealth fund right yeah okay so yeah. um other other things that popped up this week i don't know if you, you probably saw some of this at least but um david eastman like the heat is just like turning up on this guy um yeah so there's a west point graduate who's kind of taking the lead on this ivan hodes and he rounded up a bunch of people they put a letter to the editor in with like 70 west point graduates talking about eastman and you know since his um and since then his involvement in the oath keepers is really um become a big issue uh because they that group the leader of that group's been charged with sedition and um there's a clause in alaska's constitution that says you're you're not allowed to serve in the legislature if you're a seditionist and so um so yeah a lot of people are calling for eastman's removal um i think it's the volume is much louder because of his history i think that it's not just this one thing but i think that it's his long history of you know he's been censured he for saying yeah i mean a lot of people are looking at it and saying like man this guy should have been kicked out a long time ago right i mean yeah he you know it made what was his his initial thing was accusing alaska native women of getting abortions so they could get state-funded travel to seattle to go on shopping sprees like yeah asshole this guy's such a jerk you know and and you know a lot of his voting records and the thing is though that you know you go back to is that this guy wins all of his elections right right won them handily um and, uh, you know, I think kind of the cruelty is part of the appeal, which I think is something we really need to reckon with. Um, you know, it was really informative to me to watch go to the Wasilla's special quote unquote special session um, back in 2019. You know, this mm-hmm. guy was a freaking rock star. You know, he's, he was basically like the closest thing they had there to like. Uh, an idol, you know, and he's more, you know, he's more popular than anyone than anyone else in the legislature in that in that specific kind of flavor of crowd. And you know, I think it's really interesting to me is, like, yes, like all these sort of things seem like they're completely disqualifying, but it's interesting because, like, he's almost on on some hand not I wouldn't say useful is the wrong word, but he's been motivating for a lot of moderate Republicans to say. Like, hold up, you know, like I, I'd rather go work with the Democrats in a bipartisan coalition than work with this guy. Yeah. And I think, you know, whether or not that ever that continues to hold up is a big question. But, um, you know, you saw it after the um, 
2018 elections, you saw it after the 2020 elections that they said, you know, we'd rather work with the Democrats and be labeled like that than have to rely on this guy to get work done. And so, you know, I think it on some, you know, on some hand, you know, it's it's not just that he's like, you know, you know, seditionist with, you know, clearly racist sort of leanings, but he's also completely ineffective. And that's actually, that's actually the, 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 you know, that was the, um, Alaska family Council's the guy that ran against him. That, yeah. Alaska, like very conservative Alaska family Council's like point against him is that he's in, he's an ineffective legislator. And I think it, I, I, I think it kind of, the whole problem with Eastman is like this problem we have with the entire political system, right? Which is that like, for a lot of people, it's more effective and more productive to chase clout than it is to get anything passed. Like Eastman's fine with not getting anything passed because it is a motivating and activating area of like anger, right? And it allows him to be elevated. If he has to walk, away, if he does, you know, imagine if this guy got kicked out of the legislature, right? I mean, that would he would that punch his ticket forever, right? That you'd be doing you know they would have his own radio show that'd be well listened to and and all that sort of stuff and and so i I think you know i think if we really want to kind of move forward for this i think we need to not only just be focusing on just what eastman is and what eastman stands for but like kind of the the overall problem with the politics and political behaviors incentivized and i think and I hate I hate to be that guy, but I go back to say like, well, isn't it a good thing that ballot measure two and, and we have yeah. you know is in place and we have these sort of sources or forces that are at least trying to pull it back to a more sort of centrist sort of you know broadly uh, uh, broadly um, you know acceptable sort of form of governance, right? Because if you go back and run that election where, you know, Jesse Subner, kind of a moderate, not he's not even a moderate Republican, he's just moderate by comparison, you know, ran against him in the primary, if you had him go up against him in the general, that might have been a race, right? And so, I, you know, I, I think it's interesting that they're trying to, you know, looking at expulsion, I think you kind of look at the rules and you kind of look at what the status and you go, well, it sure does look like it's disqualifying, but, you know, like what kind of mechanisms do we have in place to really give someone the boot? Is there really the courage to do any of that? Yeah. Um, it's only been done one time before, and that was for a yeah. guy who'd like, maybe I think he'd like embezzled a bunch of money. And Yeah, and so... You know, I think it's I think it's really interesting to uh, how we move forward with it. Um, you know, I think I, I go back to you know I think it's you know the 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 left you know the progressives being angry with him is is great, right? But it's going to take someone in the moderate Republican angle to go, you know, getting rid of this guy, getting rid of the racist is more important. Or racist seditionist is more important than whatever sort of tax policy this guy. Uh, supports and I think that's like that's kind of the core problem right is that like you you get sort of have sort of made this sort of deal with the devil in some sense where you've you know you, you've been propping up like an increasingly reactionary and, and racist xenophobic you know seditionist whatever sort of ist word you want to put on it um, in in support of basically rallying people around like corporate welfare is sort of the main platform, right? You know, maintaining the existing power structures of like the wealthy elites is sort of the, like there's the whole sort of like that's, so you, you've, you've built up a power political machine to keep that in place, but then you are bringing along all of you get all the, the, all the trimmings. Yeah. And so, you know, I think it, to me, I think, you know, really moving forward on this is going to take some sort of courage from, you know, the, those moderate, you know, business focused Republicans to say no more because, you know, you look at like, you know, you go on the national level, right? Like, what is it? One Alaska, one America news is like primarily funded by AT&T. Isn't that like, that's like, and so, you know, I think like we need to, at some point get past this like idea that, that you can look past everybody, you know, someone's resume, as long as they're, you know, on the right side of the tax policy. Right. But that's, that's the thing that's so weird about it is that you listen to Eastman talk and he's like completely off the, off in the wilds on on so many things but then as soon as he you get him on oil tax policy he sounds like every other republican you know he's talking about job creation and competitive advantage and all this sort of like 
kind of misleading stuff that are, you know, but it's all the right sort of stuff for that kind of crowd. And and I think you know you look at it, it's like is is that sort of stuff? Is that what we want? You know, is that is is it really worth? you know, having that sort of stuff in there for that kind of, you can, Jesse Sumner, I'm sure, you know, doesn't mind, you know, oil, you know, I'm sure he's anti-tax. I'm sure he's, he likes the PFD, all that sort of stuff. And it's like, you don't, you could, you could, you could just not be racist. Right. And you could, how about we get that part out of it? But, you know, I think it, you know, right. It goes to some of the core problems with it, which is that, you know, a lot of this policy is about, maintaining existing power structures right it's maintaining yeah. the the corporate control of the political system it's about maintaining um you know it's important for the middle class to be more uh afraid of the low you know low income alaskans than it is for them to be mad at the rich people right so having you know racist you know, xenophobic sort of messaging in it is is exactly you know that's that's part of the goal, right? That's part of the the thing of, of maintaining these power structures. And so, all to say, it's I don't know what is all to say. It's, it's, what do you, <laughs> Matt? Matt, you're in the legislature, and <laughs> someone comes to you and says, "What are you going to do about this guy? What, what kind of position does that put you in?" Yeah, I'd say let's get him out of here. But I would say also, like, maybe instead of getting really mad at him, like, why don't we take a look at, you know, some sort of policies that help people? You know, why don't we look at child care stuff? Like, there's sort of it. I know we can kind of we can we can talk and chew bubblegum at the same time. Right. I know that all that sort of like truisms or, or idiotism or whatever. All those sort of like sayings are, are fine. But, I, you know, I think that there is sort of a missed opportunity. You look at some of this stuff and this outrage about like these far right guys. And it's like great let's get him out of there let's 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 do something about it but at the same time like it doesn't re you know david eastman isn't the impediment to creating a more equitable opportunity for alaskans right this guy is always going to be the 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 one on the 39 and one and so like you know i i wish we were looking more at the sort of policies that really do affect people in a day-to-day manner. And, you know, you look at you, we, we talked a little bit about, you know, the importance of federal um, uh, relief money that, that has made the pandemic, like, not as bad. And I think you look at the governor's budget, you look at, at, at the, you know, even the federal priorities, and there's not a lot there really moving forward that is really going to help people, like, continue to recover, to continue to, to, like, get through the pandemic and continue to survive. Like, you know, the the idea that we don't have, like, any continued stimulus benefits, stuff like that, the child tax care policy is going away. I'm getting really fired up here. But, like, I, know, I, like I think it. it's, it's to me, it's, like, frustrating that, you know, there there's stuff that we could be doing that would make a really big difference. And I think that is would be popular if you could put the right kind of attention and energy into it. But it's, for whatever reason, we get kind of caught up on these fights. And I think it's, it's, that's not to say that it's not important to get rid of the, the fascist, you know, seditionist, whatever, but like, you know, I wish there was more attention on that sort of stuff. I think that, you know, there are some real opportunities, especially when you talk about, you know, childcare and the, the lack of availability of that, the, the sort of policy issues that make it difficult to even, you know, to pay people to do it. Um, if we were looking at that sort of stuff, that would be, you know, that I kind of go back to Dunleavy too, is that, you know, there's so much that we've, we've, we, you know, the last three years and change have been so much about like fighting his sort of policy actions that, you know, it's to me, I think it's really frustrating that it's like this lost opportunity, this lost like three years of where we could have been, you know, trying to make sure the university of Alaska is healthy and, and doing well. But, you know, instead of it, it's almost it's like we are just trying to hold things together instead of building something together. And I think that's what's so frustrating about it. You know, let's let's want, let's, yeah. let's you know, let's take this. <laughs> let's ride this into the state of the state address here. So, yeah. So we had the state of the state address this this past <laughs> week. Did you did you listen to that? Did you get a chance to catch up on that? No. Yeah. So th- this is like where I'm running into my like capacity issues at this point. I like was I forgot that it was happening I you know wrapped up with my work that day and I actually fell asleep and slept through it um, <laughs> good so it was something that I like actually meant to like continue to go back to to like read the coverage on it and actually you 
and Mr. Scott Kendall beat me to the punch um, and wrote an excellent editorial that uh, was published in the ADN that everyone should read. I think it sums up like my thoughts exactly on it. Um, but yeah, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. I mean, I I watched the speech and um, you know, kind of of course went into it with sort of a, a jaded perspective on things given the last three years and change as you said and i found like as the speech went on i was like actually there's some good stuff in here this is getting better and better and i think that actually that you know the the words in the speech um minus some of the bluster about the federal government and joe biden i think that i you know i i largely found myself thinking well this is this is an interesting and and good vision for for alaska um, you know, he took time to call out Alaskans who were doing important things in their field. Um, he did a really good job of recognizing like a, a lot of like strength and diversity. We talked about a lot of great programs, but the problem was that, you know, I came away from it. I was like, that is not the guy who gave the speech, you know, like it, it, it's, it sounds like even Governor Dunleavy is, is tired of the Dunleavy agenda. And that was sort of the headline we, we went with on our op-ed it was really fun to work with scott on that and and we kind of just had this grocery list of of things that we tried to put into juxtaposition because his actions and the vision he articulated are in stark contrast and so you know when he's talking about building up the capacity of the university and at, at the same time this is a guy who proposed cutting 130 million dollars from their budget in one year um, you know, he put that institution into crisis and, and it is still in crisis. And there are, you know, when I talk to people who work at the university, no one knows about, no one has any confidence in job stability. No one has any confidence in program stability. Um, students are leaving, people are looking for new jobs and it's, and, and like, that's been the last couple of years has just been yeah, was, consistent. And, and, and it's like that across yeah. state government. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's interesting. There was actually a hearing this week, um, uh, shout out to Don Larson for the Twitter thread that I was able to watch instead of the actual meeting. But there was a hearing uh, about the state of the or the University of Alaska budget, um, and, and it seemed like the takeaway there was like, "Hey, look, like enrollments like continuing to slide. It's like and and it was interesting to see some of the Republican comments in it would, that were basically like, "Oh, well, it was COVID, or it was, you know, it was probably the vaccine mandates, or it was the masking stuff." And it was like, "No, it was it was the cuts that you guys have been." You know, you guys have been attacking the university system for the better part of the last decade. Like, there are, you know, there, these are the consequences of your actions here. Yeah. And you can't just, like, back your way out of it or, or, or like, kind of throw up your hands and say, well, I could, well, I have no idea what happened. That's like, no, you guys made a plan to attack it, and now your plan's paying off. And I think that's, yeah, so I think that, like, is, is sort of the, like, just encapsulates a lot of what is going on right now with Dunleavy. It's like this sort of amnesia about what they were doing just years ago. Yeah. Well, and I wouldn't say amnesia because they know what they did and it's, it's an election year and it's time to put a happy face on it. And it was really, you know, it was frustrating to see such a, you know, it it was a pretty good state of the state as far as state of the States go. And it was frustrating to see that come out of his mouth because basically for everything that he talked about, you could point to something that he did to harm that, you know, whether it's, you know, he spent a fair bit of time talking about rural Alaska and he tried to eliminate the power cost equalization program that would have like just skyrocketed everyone's uh, energy budgets, uh, the VPSOs, you know, he's not, he's not doing the things that he sort of like is celebrating. And, um, and it's other inter- people did the thing. Yeah. The things oh, yeah. happen in spite of him. Yeah. Right. And, and that's, and with great effort, like there are, there are thousands of Alaskans who stood up for various pieces of, of the budget that he attacked and defended them. And now he's like, look at all these great things. Look at how resilient we are in the face of me, you know, and that, <laughs> and, you know, without saying as much, like, that's what he said. And, um, to me, it's, it's like, it, it's given me sort of flashbacks to 2018 when he first started running for governor. And, you know, he said, he said a lot of things that he didn't follow through on last time. He was going to give everyone like a $6,000 PFD. Yeah. We're all going to get our money. It's going to be gravy in the, you know, <laughs> gravy in the streets for everyone, all Alaskans, boats of gravy. And I, you know, I think it's, it's becoming that again. And 
um, you know, he's he's pointing to a, a relatively cushy budget, and it's all built on that scaffolding that I talked about earlier of federal dollars. And so there's no nothing sustainable in this budget. It's just like we got some again. Like this is Alaska's history. Is like let's have some, let's just not do anything and get lucky, and oil prices will rebound, or we'll get some federal money, and then magically the pot will get filled, and we'll never have to worry about anything. <laughs> yeah like and it's wild because you look at people and they're like yeah that is a good that's a good strategy like it, it, to me it's it's like how do we how do people forget that like where we were just like six months ago yeah um that like you know this idea that like you know that the boom is is little momentary blip in oil prices is gonna like hold up for the next decade it's just like it's just so wild to me and i think that's what i think is just so frustrating is that like yes this budget we can we this budget works kind of we can get through this year but like where does it leave us next year right and where does it leave us year after that and it and does it leave us off in a worse place than if we you know than we were before and i think in some ways it does because it creates this like huge it just pushes the cliff off a little more basically Dun what dunleavy's doing instead of like changing course is he's taking this federal money and building like a pier off of the cl this fiscal cliff and now we're we're out above it and we don't you know if we don't which makes is, some serious changes then it's a wild strategy because yeah. he, if he wins based on the strategy then he's stuck with his own problem right like yeah. he, you know all of us are stuck with it too but if he wins now he's got now he's got to spin four more years of like okay well uh i kind of bluffed last time based on all this federal money and now i've got to figure out four more years of how to how to make, make this work yeah and so and so I don't know. It seems like a really weird thing to be in. And, and it feels like it's just sort of in the pursuit of power. Like, okay, I'll be governor right. for four more years and then I'll be like a senator or whatever. And like, yeah, I don't think he's really like cares about Alaska in the bigger yeah, picture. Well, I mean, it goes back to this issue is, is Dunleavy playing 40 chess or is he just getting through the day? Right. And yeah. I think a lot of this is just getting through the day. Right. You nothing, nothing else has worked. So why not try this kind of? And it's it, I don't know. It's it is interesting to see. Like I'd love to know how much of this is actual um, change in his thinking. Like how much of how much of this state of the state address is him growing and changing and realizing that his positions before were incorrect and that these are better positions now and that he, and the you know like because yeah. people can grow and change right and I want to allow that for even for him. Oh, Pat! I, and <laughs> this is the most Pat thing I've yeah. ever heard. I no, but I, it would be really interesting to know just like sort of, you know, like has he disc in the process of governing for three years, has he actually learned some things and, uh, you know, or is this all just sort of a bluff to get him elected again? And yeah, yeah you know, I, I think I know the answer to that, but, <laughs> but, you know, it's, you can always hope that maybe there's some things that have stuck and maybe there's some realization, uh, and, and personal growth. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, one one more thing I want to talk about real quick is um, the uh, the Anchorage Library. Like the I I saw this thread the other day of some minutes. This is from the the Blue Alaskan, who is an anonymous blogger uh, that pays close attention to the Anchorage municipal government uh, and has written a lot about uh, Bronson and and company and uh, was just posting some minutes from the Anchorage Library meeting and part of those minutes were were a note that kind of concerned me and that was that they they're 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 inventorying uh and assessing the value of the rare books collection and paintings at the at the uh in in the anchorage library system specifically the alaska collection at the lusac library um and for possible auction uh you know, wild. emphasis on the word possible but it's like that but you don't want that to be possible i think um it's a it's a little concerning to me, and there's been a lot of weird stuff going on at the library already, um, and so that is something that if you're in Anchorage, you might want to keep an eye on because I think that we have some, you know, we have some collective treasures that we probably don't want to see evaporate into private collections or just maybe maybe someone takes it home. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you lose part of yeah, you lose part of your like history that way, and I think you know it, it's hand in hand with all the book banning sort of stuff yep. that, yeah, yeah yeah i sold a lot of banned books this week um they you know the <laughs> the 
the movement to ban books in the United States is like a, as a reaction to critical race theory and black lives matter has been, it's been really bizarre. And it's also coming from the like freedom of speech crowd. Like I, I certainly understand that there are, that there are things that you may not want uh, accessible to like elementary school students. But I think that when you start, uh, you know, in the same minutes of the Anchorage Library meeting, they were talking about segregating the LGBTQ books, um, you know, because they have a different perspective on things. And so it's like, you know, I don't think that segregation of materials or like, you know, making it harder to access things, you know, the libraries don't, the libraries don't force anyone to take these books home. And, you know, parents do have some control over what their kids have access to. It's really disheartening when uh, people start hiding information they don't agree with. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Anyways. Uh, so yeah. Anchorage library. Keep your eyes peeled. Good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff there. Um, well, the one thing I wanted to touch on is this legislator pay issue, right? So yeah. the Alaska compensation commission, um, approved like uh, some changes for legislator compensation that are definitely like coming from a punitive place. They are, oh, the legislature spent so much time in special session that, that Dunleavy called, by the way, all the ones that were you know called by Dunleavy. Uh, and they're so ineffective, you know, because of Dunleavy again. But long story short is that the legislature comes back this week and in a matter of three days unanimously you know all every member that was there and a few that were had to be kind of shuffled in because they didn't want to be there um all voted in favor of rejecting these pay things and i think like i get i get the argument right that being a legislator is expensive it's sort of uncertain it's hard to hold down a job it's, it's difficult for some to support a family on it and like that's yeah i get that like but at the same time, like, you know, these are people who, you know, again, are, you know, I look at it in some ways as like they're pulling, you know, some of them are like pulling up the ladder on other people, right? That, you know, there are a good, there's a good chunk of legislators in there that are really, you know, sincerely trying to make a big difference for Alaskans who I would say, you know, that might, they, you know, would look at their compensation here and say, you know, every Alaskan should have an opportunity to earn this, right? But there are other people in there that like, you know, opposed, uh, you know, tuition assistance for essential workers because they were concerned that it would affect, you know, uh, uh, the number of people to bag groceries, right? And so, like, to me, there's some kind of dissonance in there where it is, you know, people that everyone taking this money, like, to me, just really rubs me the wrong way when you're, like, getting paid by the state and then also saying, oh, you know, uh, it's all the lazy, you know, it's unemployment that's stopping people from working and they, you know, people just need to go back to work and a good job will do it, fix everything. And it's just like, I don't know, to me, uh, there's a lot of like, in, you know, hypocritical insincerity that's like contained in a lot of this. That, it, was, it was weird. Yeah. I mean, like the optics of it are not good. If you're the legislature and you can hardly pass anything because you're at loggerheads on all kinds of fronts and then it takes three days to pass your own like you know pay reduction rejection i mean easton voted in favor of it right oh oh, yeah because the easter bunny right and so it's 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 a really i don't know if you saw that but that was (laughs) it was a that was a little aside sorry (laughs) um but uh yeah, it, it's just the the optics of it aren't aren't good, and and I don't know why they would like. I feel like the legislature would be smarter than doing something like that in an election year because like they're not, like you vote for that. Some of those people are not going to be around to receive the benefits of of uh, uh, <laughs> of of, reje- yeah. of rejecting that because they've rejected that. Like they're they're. I, think, uh, I mean, I guess on one hand, it's like everyone's got to vote for it, right? Because it's like we all jump together kind of thing. But at the same time, it just to me is like it's so frustrating because, you know, that like the, I think one of the, the most important pieces of legislation that came to the legislature in the last two years or the last two years, is this piece, this bill that would have given tuition assistance to people who are essential workers at the entirety of the pandemic. Right. And it, so it's like not that many people. It's not that big of a thing. It doesn't even pay for the whole thing. Um and they couldn't pass it, right? And to me, like it was such a such a small gesture that would have made some some people's lives, you know, it would have given them an opportunity to, to to move up 
in their in their life to earn more to to create opportunities for them and they couldn't do it and um to me like that is really galling when you know i think you know i think the legislature like should be looking at ways to improve everybody's opportunities and to not to sort of see that not just ignored but like actively worked against while also collecting these big you know payouts that are you know like we they talk about how difficult it is to have kids and a family on the salary and it's like you dummies there's a ton of people that are out there that are struggling to have kids and a family on that on less than that uh, much right less. that yeah. much less than that and you know and i think it, it is so frustrating because you know uh, as a legislator you can turn around and and be able to you know turn the being a legislature you, afterwards into you know it creates so many opportunities right yeah. that are are not measured in dollars and cents well and also it's not a it's not a full-time job right it's a it's a citizens legislature a lot of these people work for conoco phillips or they've got a job for if they've got their family foundation yeah. or you know whatever the thing is yeah, and also, a yeah, lot of them are millionaires I don't, yeah you look I don't at know it why yeah, they're you, fighting for like 47 you look at cents it. Yeah, you look at it, and there's a lot of people in there that are extraordinarily wealthy. It's not, you know, we we're sort of there's part of the story that they're kind of telling in this is that, oh, it's difficult for the single or the 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 parent young parent to to do this. And you look at it, and most of the young parents aren't are very well off, right? Yeah. You know, you look at uh, some of them, and you know, they're we were I. This is the kind of stuff we do on a Friday night here in my household is we were looking at the financial disclosures of people and, you know, very few of them that are making these arguments about being a parent are in any kind of financial difficulty. You know, yeah. they, you know, their household income is $300,000, right? You know, there's very few people in the legislature that aren't making a lot of money. And actually the kind of the interesting point in it is that, a lot of these sort of extreme right-wing people are, you know, you think about like the, uh, I'm not, I don't know if you really need to yeah. name names, but you look at a couple, you know, some of these Republicans that are the ones that are, we kind of look at as, you know, the, these sort of, um, you know, who put so much sort of emphasis on the PFD, you look at their things and you go, oh, I kind of get it now. I like, you kind of get some of the arguments about why the, you know, there's, there's a, there is some disparities in there, but it's not the kind of disparities necessarily that they are like that they're claiming to to have. You know, I think there's there a lot more people are a lot more wealthy than you'd think they are, and yeah, it's weird to sort of play the the underdog card when your yeah. when your salary is public information. Yeah, and 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 the, I you know I think that it it gets to this bigger conversation that we ha we haven't really concluded in Alaska of like, do we want a citizen legislature or do we want to pay people a full-time salary that like, you know, really sort of respects what that position entails and uh, what it means to manage what they manage and sort of insulates them from, you know, hopefully insulates legislators from the kind of thing that happened at the Vico scandal where you've got people selling their votes for, you know, a couple hundred bucks here yeah. and there, you know? Yeah. And, and so I think that the, uh, you know, I, th I think that maybe maybe this is part of that conversation, but it's not being had well if they're just going to quickly, brusquely force this right. bill through in three days. And so what they really need to do is slow something this, something like this down and have a conversation with Alaskans about whether legislators deserve a full time salary or, or, you know, what what do the what do Alaskans want to see? What do their constituents yeah. want to see? Not just what they think is best for them, because it's very, very hard to be a good judge of your own salary. Right. And I think, too, you, you know, we talk about, you know, some of them talk about how, uh, you know, it's it is a full time job. But you look you go into a lot of the LIOs during the interim and you won't find anybody there. You'll find their staffers maybe working, but a lot of them really don't. I don't know. I think it's it, like I, I am I am sympathetic to the the difficulties and uncertainties of, of having a long legislative session but like this is kind of what you signed up for and and i would also you know if you're arguing that you know you, there's some sort of magical great value you're you're providing in the off years i'm not seeing it in most cases you know most of these legislators aren't all that active in the off years off time and i don't I, mean, I don't blame them right i'm not as active in the off season of the legislature either but like that's part of the job, right? You yeah. know, and and so I don't know. I think it's I think it's difficult. I think it's especially difficult when you start to sort of pull out the picture and you look at the legislature's 
not just inability to get something done, but inability to get something done for Alaskans. You know, for the everyday Alaskans who aren't earning fifty thousand dollars plus thirty thousand dollars in per diem every year, right? Like, I think that that you know, plus, I think plus a job, plus, plus what, a job, plus a salary, plus whatever. Yeah, Phillips. it just doesn't look good. It just doesn't look good. Yeah. Anyways, it's a. It, I, I'm glad we talked about that. I think that's something that maybe we should. That might be a good like deep dive episode sometime is to just talk with some folks about their salaries and to sort of talk about the decision that went into making the legislature the way it is and and mm-hmm. why we've stuck with it or whether we should st- stick with it. I don't actually have a strong opinion either way. I just feel like we need to kind of reevaluate it and decide this is what we want to do for the next you know generation or two. Right. Okay. There is one. Sorry, there is one okay. one more thing, and that is that to, one today today the day we're recording is uh, January thirtieth, which is the one year uh, anniversary of uh, Attorney General Ed Sniffen uh, stepping down from his position. He was accused of uh, having uh, basically consent a consensual relationship with a uh, minor that is also that- illegal and statutory mm-hmm. rape, um, and so. He uh, he stepped down, and he was the second attorney general that Mike Dunleavy had appointed that had to step down, and a special prosecutor was appointed, and uh, that special prosecutor went away for some reason, maybe to work for the state or something, and then they appointed a new special or a new special prosecutor came on, and I haven't heard any updates. Uh, it's been a year. I would love to know what is happening with the special prosecution. Um, in in the case of Ed Sniffen, and uh, also I'd like to know if the bar why why hasn't the bar association done anything with either Ed Sniffen or Kevin Clarkson in that time? And it's been, you know, like there's been ample time for for some consequences, um, and it feels like those two guys are just going to sort of like skate and float away. Um, and I I just wanted to kind of bring that back up to the forefront because it's the it's been a year now. So that's it. Okay, done. Oh yeah, don't forget to. We want to hear your guys' state of the state. Oh yeah, yeah. Call call us. So, call us and leave a message. Yeah. What is the state of our state of Alaska? Um, just give us a, like a little mini version, answering machine version. You can call uh, dial find a pizza. Uh, that's our our phone number. You can you actually call us anytime with anything that's related to Alaska, um, whether it's policy or people or you know, whatever's on your mind, we'd love to have some more voices, um, aside from our own. Uh, but we're kind of generally too lazy to go out and interview a lot of people. So if you call <laughs> us, that's really helpful. Uh, dial find a pizza. And, um, it's not a 907 number. We know that, but we are here in Alaska and we are real humans. So feel free to mm. call it real pizza, loving pizza Americans, loving Alaskans. Yeah. All right. Well, that's our show for today. And, uh, thanks for joining us and, uh, goodbye, Alaska. Goodbye. All right, cool. Go watch some football, I guess, huh? I'm not a big football watcher, so did I make you miss a bunch of games? Are you like are you doing the multiple walls of TV right now and you're watching them all while we're talking? <laughs>